0: Put knowledge to work and grow your business with CIT. From transportation to healthcare to manufacturing, CIT offers commercial lending, leasing, and treasury management services for small and middle market businesses. Learn more at cit.com. Put knowledge to work.
1: Welcome to another edition of the Odd Lots Podcast. I'm Joe Weisenthal, Managing Editor at Bloomberg Markets.
0: And I'm Tracy Alloway, Executive Editor at Bloomberg Markets.
1: Uh well Tracy, it's been uh, quite a week.
0: Uh, you could you could put it that way. There there was something something about an election somewhere, right?
1: yeah I remember that election uh, uh, <laughs> uh quite and not only was the election extraordinary for all kinds of uh sort of political and historical reasons uh it's also been an extraordinary aftermath uh we've seen in financial markets and it's uh, uh it's completely confounded basically everything anyone would have predicted going into the uh into the vote
0: that's right so we were told that. If Donald Trump got elected, that was the ultimate uh, sort of political tail risk. And it happened and we got an initial market sell off like right when the results started coming in. But uh, at the time of us recording this, we've seen markets rebound quite strongly. Right.
1: Right. I guess we should say, you know, just in the full transparency, we're recording this on a uh, Thursday after the election the podcast people won't be listening to it till a few days from now. So if the entire market changes again and there's some huge crash or something before you hear this,
0: <laughs> just disregard. Dis disregard. You can stop listening. You can just disregard
1: <laughs> everything. Such is the uh, world of podcasts, where we have to, um, where we have to do this in advance. But one other thing. So we didn't get the crash that people expected. In fact, markets have been surging. Perhaps more interestingly and far more importantly from a financial markets perspective, we've also seen a pretty big increase in uh, long-term interest rates. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yield on the 10-year U.S. Treasury is above 2% for the first time uh, since January. Uh, Other market-based measures of future uh, possible inflation have been going up. Uh, this is also uh, the people have been waiting for a rise in some of these measures for quite some time, and in the immediate aftermath of Trump's victory, we actually appear to be uh, seeing some uh, seeing some of these moves.
0: Right. So all it took for inflation expectations to come back was the complete political upheaval of the United States of America. Right.
1: Yeah. That's all. That's all it took. Uh, just a uh, completely stunning political outcome. And whereas Janet Yellen and Ben Bernanke and Kuroda have been trying so hard to get inflation expectations up, uh, Donald Trump seems to have accomplished that in about 48 hours. And
0: he's not even in office yet. Amazing. And
1: he's not even in office yet. So on that note, I think we have the perfect guest for – the week. Uh, His name is uh, David Beckworth. He's a uh, research fellow at the Mercatus Center. He writes a fantastic blog called Macro and Other Market Musings, where he talks about monetary policy, uh, inflation, the macro economy, and all that stuff. And I think he's a uh, perfect uh, guest to help us break down some of these moves in financial markets that we've seen and what uh, traders might be anticipating uh, under a Donald Trump presidency. Let's bring in David. Uh, David, thank you for joining us.
2: Well, thank you for having me on the show.
1: Uh, so, uh, quite a extraordinary few days in financial markets, wouldn't you say?
2: Absolutely. Yes, uh, as you mentioned in the intro... Donald Trump has done more to make Treasury yields great again that <laughs> Janet Yellen has, has tried and Ben Bernanke tried years to do and couldn't accomplish. Um, it, it is quite shocking, but it also speaks to I, I think one of the things that's plagued this, this past seven, eight year period has been kind of a, a swing in risk premiums to one extreme of during the boom. I think we were maybe over optimistic and we've been stuck in a funk, and, and maybe Trump was the shock uh that we needed to maybe change things around
1: so let's talk about this stuff because you know people like to talk about the fed having an inflation target and uh the fed in the u.s the central bank is supposed to target stable prices uh and full employment they've aimed for this two percent inflation target uh for years and haven't really been able to hit it except very briefly They've done all kinds of uh, stuff. They've tried QE. They've tried forward guidance. They've, uh, you know, hinted at other uh, sort of extraordinary policies going forward. They have all these dots and press conferences. All these, uh, all these new innovations designed to. Uh, keep prices stable and boost inflation, it's never worked, and we joke about Donald Trump having done more to accomplish this in uh, 48 hours after being elected than the central bankers have done, but it's not really a joke. So what is it about um, his win that seems to have uh, jolted financial markets, and what does it say?
2: Well, I, I think it speaks to an understanding that I've actually developed over these past few years. And that is, Fed policy is really constrained by what the body politic wants. So, um, you know, if if the Fed, if you think of the Fed trying to to hit 2% inflation, I I think there's some reasons inside the Fed. Maybe there's inertia, um, that there's a conservative nature to the institution. But I think a bigger issue is what if the Fed could have hit, say, 2% inflation with a button? And, And maybe they couldn't. But what if they had tried? What if they had overshot? their target, as some people have advocated, I think it would have been very politically controversial. Um, Bernanke, if you recall, in 2010, he had congressional hearings right uh, around the time of QE2, and he got railed for debasing the currency. And, and if you looked at core inflation, it was 1% then, just this, this threat of it. So, one thing I think that really we, we tend to overlook is the Fed is, is limited or is, is empowered as much as the public wants it to be. And if the public wants low inflation, you know, and then they they express it through their uh, Congress people, then I think the Fed's going to be um, limited. And one way to look at <laughs> what trump is trump is is a referendum by the public saying okay we can try a little bit higher inflation we can try a little bit more rapid aggregate demand growth now they're not saying that explicitly but by bringing him into office some of his proposals for investment spending um, this, maybe his more reckless nature speaks to maybe a, a change in attitudes and and i i think what that says is it says fiscal policy will be easier will be a tolerance for higher inflation And and that's something the Fed couldn't do on its own. And and that's, again, kind of one of the points I've come to appreciate is, in theory, the Fed can do whatever it wants, but in practice, it can't because there's political constraints.
0: But, David, if that's the case, then what do you think has driven the change in the general attitude towards inflation? Like what's happened over the past four years or so to make people ready all of a sudden for prices to go up?
2: It's a tough story to tell, no doubt. But I think what has happened, um, again going back to the crisis up until Trump's election, is that um, there is this this desire for stability, the desire for low inflation. It's partly um, the result of the Fed's own past success. If you look at the history of inflation targeting, it hits the world around 1990. Um, we really did need something to rein in inflation, and central banks have tried money supply targeting. They tried um, and different attempts, and inflation targeting seem to be the, the best solution. Over time, as they've done that, they've gotten better at it. I think they've built up the expectation among the body politic that this is what we want. Um, we go into the crisis, there's all this uncertainty, there's this disaster, and the last thing the public wants is to have central banks tinkering with 3 4% inflation, uh, overshooting their target. So I think the Fed created an environment where low inflation was the expected norm. Then you have a crisis where people are concerned, they're fearful of big institutions like the Fed. But then after you know seven, eight years of slow, sluggish growth, that long a period of, of people becoming uh, falling behind, economic angst, they want something different. So maybe people aren't aren't you know explicitly articulating in their minds, we want higher inflation. But by voting for Trump, they want something new, they want something different and that's going to include higher inflation um, it, it's kind of an maybe an unconscious vote for higher inflation higher aggregate demand growth
1: all right so so i get that and i you know i get that politics changes and you know suddenly we have something new but couldn't it also be as simple as Fiscal policy really matters to inflation expectations. And the and on Donald Trump, when he had his victory speech, he made a very point. He First of all, he said it a lot during the campaign. He said tax cuts. He said double uh, infrastructure spending than Hillary Clinton. Um, he said uh, repatriation of foreign cash. There's all just sort of raw money. And then in his uh, victory speech, he talked about rebuilding bridges and hospitals and uh america's cities and all this is fiscal stimulus and couldn't it suggest that maybe inflation is a uh the fiscal side is a big determinant of inflation and uh, inflation expectations and then it's just not really about the fed as much as people thought
2: no, absolutely and i think what's neat about this is this is kind of a natural experiment uh to test that idea right, right. um if, if you recall uh, Trump actually said something that sounded very much like the MMT school of thought um, a while back during the campaign. He said, Look, the government can never go broke. Right. You know, it can print its own money. If the government runs up deficits, it can just eventually pay off the debt by printing more money. A very much a very, you know, post Keynesian MMT type thinking. And and we're going to have a great natural experiment on that. And, and I guess what you could say is the early uh, results, the early evidence seems to support that, at least the forward-looking evidence. But absolutely. And, and again, I, going back to the point I mentioned earlier, I think it speaks to the, um, the, the, the codependency of fiscal policy and monetary policy. Here's another way of thinking about this. A- imagine the Federal Reserve – had got a hole in its balance sheet. So imagine, for example, some of its assets had lost value, some of those mortgage backed securities. For, for whatever reason, um, they suddenly lost value. So there was a big hole in the balance sheet. There were more liabilities, more monetary base outstanding than there were assets. That would create a fear of inflation because now the Fed couldn't pull all the monetary base in in the future. What would happen in that case? What would happen is the U.S. Treasury would bail out the Fed. So should the Fed ever become insolvent in the sense it couldn't control inflation, the monetary base, the Fed would be there. And the way it would do it, the Fed would give bonds to the Fed. The Fed would then use those to pull the monetary base out. What that speaks to, though, is – Ultimately, the the Fed being able to control inflation depends on the Treasury being solvent itself. If the Treasury were having problems with budget deficits and there were concerns about the Treasury's financial health, it would impair its ability to bail the Fed out. So, No matter where we are in time, the Fed's ability to control inflation is implicitly backstopped by the Treasury, which is fiscal policy. And, and I so it's going to your point, if, if Treasury finances fall apart, if there's a change in approach to, to fiscal policy, it's ultimately going to shape expectations about inflation. So, yes, Joe, um, I, I do think this speaks to the importance of fiscal policy for inflation.
1: All right. We have to take a uh, quick break uh, for a commercial. But then when we come back, I want to dive more into this question.
0: Put knowledge to work and grow your business with CIT. From transportation to healthcare to manufacturing, CIT offers commercial lending, leasing, and treasury management services for small and middle market businesses. Learn more at cit.com. Put knowledge to work.
1: we're back with David Beckworth. He's a uh, researcher at the Mercatus Center, and we've been talking about uh, the role of fiscal policy in driving inflation and inflation uh, expectations. Uh, And I want to keep uh, hitting this question. I want to drill down further into this question, because there has been a view out there that Fiscal policy is essentially uh, impotent on anything having to do with total demand and inflation. They talk about Ricardian equivalents and that that if the government drives up deficits, then that'll make people think that there will be higher taxes in the future. And so they'll spend less. And ultimately, that will counteract any uh, stimulative effects of that uh, spending. And generally, uh, I think it's sort of mainstream economic view that the fiscal uh, side of the ledger of, uh, you know, economic management is not where uh, inflation comes from, and that it's the, uh, you know, inflation is essentially controlled by the Fed. But it at least seems like a possibility that if we do get, you know, one of the things that's interesting about Trump's spending plans is that they're not counter-cyclical, in the sense that we're at 4.9% unemployment. Uh, Mm -hmm. There is not obvious that there's a huge sort of output gap. Uh, Here, Uh, It does seem like, you know, as we've been talking about, there could be a real natural test here where maybe uh, the uh, fiscal side is really the main driver and the Fed just isn't uh, as important as we thought on this front. Do you think that's possible, that some of these assumptions that we had about the significance of the Fed in controlling or targeting inflation was overstated?
2: I do. I want to be careful, though, in how we say this. Kind of what you're referring to, I think, is is what we've called the monetary policy offset, right? In the past, right. so if fiscal policy, you know, had tried, and, and I think you, you, could, you could argue this is actually would fit um, Obama's fiscal stimulus. Make this concrete large spending plan, but you know we didn't see a huge spike in aggregate demand, a huge spike in inflation. You could have argued it put a floor into the economy. But you know the conventional view would say, well, the reason that didn't happen is because the Fed wanted to maintain low inflation. So yes, there's a large fiscal stimulus, um, but the Fed could only tolerate so much inflation. So in general, you know people who called for helicopter drops over the past year, um, they would run up against The concern that the Fed might offset it, so the you know the Treasury sends out checks to households, people spend, inflation goes up, the Fed gets nervous. But I I think behind both of those, really, maybe another way of saying this, behind fiscal policy and behind monetary policy, is lurking maybe this again this this public um, acceptance. What does what will the public tolerate? And so maybe by electing Trump, the public has has stated clearly. We're tired with, with the norm we, we're tired with this tinkering on the margins by fiscal mm-hmm. policy and monetary policy. We want to open up the you know, start the engine let's get going things going a little bit faster. And keep in mind, fiscal policy will affect spending and inflation by affecting the velocity so it's, you know you think of you know money times velocity, that's total spending in the economy. Fiscal policy generally is going to work through velocity and, and, and people to, to spend faster um, so it's still a monetary story ultimately, but fiscal policy and monetary policy are interacting. And I think it's reflecting the public's tolerance level for it.
0: So on that interaction point, you suggested early on in the conversation that the fed may have been hamstrung a little bit by a general reluctance or political reluctance, um, to do more in terms of boosting inflation. Um, and Trump potentially changes that. Um, How do you see that relationship between the Fed and Trump actually developing? Mm. Because there's also been the opposite suggestion, which is that if inflation runs too hot, then the Fed might step in. Or even um, we saw... Citigroup's Matt King suggests that maybe Janet Yellen just kind of wants to seek revenge on Trump in some way. And so maybe she'll be a a reluctant partner in his um, or an obstacle in his quest to boost inflation. So how will that actually play out?
2: Well, that'll be interesting to watch if she pulls a poll Volcker on Trump. But uh, again, I I think it would play out. more through fiscal policy, it'd it be one way to look at this. Is you know he may tone down, he may you know tighten what the Fed can do. He may appoint people there that will be sympathetic to his view that he's expressed. You all know he was very critical of the Fed. He said Fed kept rates too low. Um, again, I think we can argue. About that, I definitely don't think it was the Fed's result. Rates were low. I think it was more following where the economy is going. But he, yeah, he's very critical of the Fed. He seems to be very supportive, implicitly, in what he's saying about fiscal policy. So, you know, one way to, to look at it is he may rein in the Fed's aggressive unconventional policies, but he's going to be, you know, hitting the gas pedal on the fiscal policy side, and and you know, so they, they'll work in hand to to lead to this outcome. Um, You know, someone who's probably interesting to watch to follow over the next year is Judy Shelton. Mm. She has written some columns for the the, uh, Wall Street Journal, the Financial Times. And she's one of his advisors on monetary policy. And interestingly enough, she takes a very hard money view, um, sympathetic mm. to the gold standard. So it is a little bit puzzling how that would reconcile it's, with the more aggressive. It's almost, it's approach. almost as
1: if we don't totally know what Trump has got planned. <laughs> I, I, you, you could almost say it's a, he's a bit of a mystery on some of these things. <laughs>
2: Being um, naively right. optimistic. Here. No, I mean
1: we all we all have very little, very few clues to go on with this stuff, and that's yeah. why I think the financial mark, the decisive financial market reaction, is so interesting, because whereas you know anyone could s- sort of pull together some Donald Trump quotes and try to come up with some theory about what he's going to do economically. Uh, No one is totally sure, but there really is quite a startling reaction in financial markets. I want to uh, ask another question about inflation, and tell me if I'm just completely off base here and if this is nonsense or if there might be something to this. It seems to me that inflation is lower in really stable uh, economies. So some of the the most stable countries—and I mean politically— uh, Singapore is in has negative CPI growth. Switzerland is in uh, has virtually no inflation. Japan, one of the most stable countries politically in a sense, uh, hasn't had inflation in forever. And then, you, if you look at the countries with a lot of inflation, you tend to see much more volatile emerging uh, markets with uh, uh, weaker uh, political uh, stability. South Africa, uh, Brazil. Turkey Zimbabwe and so forth. would be the most famous. Zimbabwe being the most extraordinary one. Is there a connection in your view between um, sort of political stability and inflation? And is there anything that we can derive from that given the appearance, yeah, uh, apparent decline in the U.S.?
2: I think there's two stories behind that. The first one I think is less important, but it's a part of the story, and I'll do that one first. And that's the demographics. So often, hmm. in many of those countries you mentioned, they're advanced economies, aging populations they tend to rely more on fixed income as they get older. There's a paper by the IMF that, that when I did a cross-country study, and you know, the older the, the average age of the population, um, the more constrained, again, politically, a central bank will be in terms of inflation. So one you know, of this speaks to, actually, I think, what's going on in Japan with economics. I mean, they have an incredible QE. They, they push the limits of what, what, what's possible, right, over there. Their balance sheet is just blowing up um, like nothing else. And yet, inflation remains really subdued. They've, they've broken, you know, the positive number, but it's still it's really low, much lower than they wanted. And in my view, I think one of the key stories in Japan is that politically they, they can't do this. Their, their population is shrinking; it's getting older, um, and that's a powerful voting block. And they. Won't tolerate high inflation that eats away at their fixed income. I think that's part of the story. There's a demographic issue, which also speaks to some another reason rates might be low around the world in advanced economies. I, I think a second issue, though, is is the difference between something you know these advanced economies and and, the, and the emerging markets is the advanced economies again, as I mentioned earlier, have had inflation targeting for a longer time, and and I and it just it, it gets built into expectations. If you know several decades of inflation targeting, right. everyone comes to expect low inflation, and anything outside of that is considered deviant. It's, you know, oh, how can you possibly go above 2% inflation, even if it's needed, even if it's a temporary, you know, departure? I think we've gotten to the point where the body politic and a lot of advanced economies will not tolerate a deviation. So I've, I've, in my writings, I've, I've called this the inflation-targeting straitjacket. Um, they've been so good that they've worked themselves into a, a corner, and they can't get out. They don't have the flexibility they mm. need during deep recessions. So I think that's, that's the probably the biggest part of the story in advanced economies is their own past successes have made them less um, able. And again, Donald Trump, what Donald Trump has done, if I continue my inflation straight uh, jacket story, he, he's unbuttoned that straight jacket, given the central banks, given macro policy, fiscal policy, some more degrees of freedom to work.
1: All right. uh, David Beckworth, uh, research fellow at the Mercatus Center. Uh, I think this is a great conversation to uh, sort of introduce people to what I think is going to be a really hot economic uh, debate over the coming years and sort of a real time economic laboratory experiment, particularly on the economy. Well, I really appreciate you coming on, David Beckworth. Um, you should check out his blog, Macro and Other Market Musings. And David also has his own podcast. Uh, do you want to tell us about that real quickly? Where yeah, it's
2: called it? Macro Musings, and we look at um, macro economists and, and, and writers, journalists, and uh, just look at the big macro issues of the day.
1: Well, I think uh, everyone should check that out if they're interested in these topics. And I suspect, again, that as some of these debates unfold, that will continue to be a a, uh, must-listen. So really uh, appreciate you coming on, David. Thank you for having me on. Well, Tracy, I think that was like the perfectly timed guest for what we've seen uh, in uh, in the markets so far in the uh, in the Trump era, and I, I am very interested in seeing like you know if a sort of economic regime change, a sort of shock to the system fiscally, will actually change the trajectory of interest rates and inflation, which, as you know as well as anyone, has been uh, falling nonstop for years.
0: Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to watch. My only um, my only sort of one thought on this is I wonder if we're ascribing too much meaning to what we've seen in markets right. so far in terms of, you know, these inflation expectations. No one, you mentioned this, but no one really knows what Trump's exact policies are going to be on this front. And I just wonder if investors at this point are sort of projecting their yeah. hopes and their yeah. dreams on to Trump, right? They want they want inflation to come back. They want infrastructure spending. They want tax cuts. They want a business-friendly environment. And who knows if that's really going to happen?
1: No, I, I think that's obviously, uh, this, this. there's a lot of uh, hopeful uh, trading it looks like going on based on just sort of minimal evidence to piece together. And the fact that uh, we still don't really know how Republicans in Congress who have been uh, opposed to any sort of extra deficit spending under the Obama years, whether they're Mm. ready to turn on a dime the way. uh, Yeah. I mean, you could they could because uh, politicians, you know, politicians are (laughs) politicians. So it's certainly, you know, and anyone we don't really know what anyone really believes uh, on these things because everything is situational with this stuff. Um, But we don't really know how much they're willing to uh, go back on everything that they've been saying.
0: But definitely, I think we're going to be talking about this for a while to come, for sure. Yeah, and
1: I think you know, one of the, it's interesting looking at the financial market reaction because beyond stocks, beyond bonds, one of the things that we've been seeing is. Uh, a really big surge in industrial metals prices, so mm. uh, copper iron ore, again, on this belief that we 're going to be building thousands of uh bridges and skyscrapers and new hospitals and schools which is which is going to uh, need all this stuff mm. and if you know if we actually get something like that, and i don 't know if we will, but if we actually do watching uh, the economic uh, ramifications of this is really going to be perhaps the one of the most important economic stories of the next uh, few years. All right. Well, this has been another uh, episode of the Odd Lots podcast. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. I'm Joe Weisenthal. You can follow me on Twitter at The Stalwart.
0: And I'm Tracy Alloway. I'm on Twitter at Tracy Alloway.
1: And you can follow David Beckworth on Twitter at David Beckworth. Thanks for listening.
0: knowledge to work and grow your business with CIT. From transportation to healthcare to manufacturing, CIT offers commercial lending, leasing, and treasury management services for small and middle market businesses. Learn more at cit.com. Put knowledge to work.